The reading comes from John's first letter, chapter 2, reading from verse 3 through to verse 11. And you'll find that on the service sheets, and I think on the screen, or on page 1225 in the Church Bibles. 1 John 2, beginning at verse 3. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have heard, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing, and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or a sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister in the, is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. Thank you very much, John. The question of assurance is raised for us in today's passage. How can we have assurance in Christian life? How can we know that we are Jesus' people, that we are saved by him? That's a question that most of us will deal with at some point in our lives as Christians, not just one that comes up at particular moments like teenage angst and midlife crises and deathbed fears. That question of assurance can strike at any moment, at any time, we might think to ourselves, how do I know that I know? How do I know that I am known? And today's passage helps us to be ready when that does come. Last week, we were thinking about Jesus fulfilling the roles of our advocate, our mediator, and our sacrifice. He is the mediator for Christians, the atoning sacrifice for Christians. And you might have been left thinking, well, that's great. He's a a sacrifice. He's mediating. He's advocating with the Father. But is that for me? Is that actually something that's effective in my life? I say I'm a Christian. I'm here in church. But am I actually his? Is his sacrifice for me? Has God accepted me? Well, John says today that you can know that you are his if you're keeping his commands, if you're loving others. Let's look at verse 3 to start with. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. The he there is Jesus, picking up from verse 2, which was he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And his commands, Jesus' commands, apply to all that Jesus taught us. Jesus taught many topics 
He taught about humility and righteousness, about persecution and witness. Jesus taught about murder and anger, adultery and lust, divorce and immorality, oaths and revenge, alms and prayer, wealth and generosity. He taught about anxiety and provision, judgments and hypocrisy. And all of that in just one sermon, one rather famous sermon on a certain mount. Uh, that, in fact, that sermon was one in which he also referenced and incorporated all of the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, when he said that he'd come to fulfill the law of Moses, not to take it away and not a jot would pass from it. He fulfilled that Old Testament law, the sacrifice aspect of it, the sacrificial elements, the ritualistic elements, uh, through his death on the cross. He fulfilled the national elements, the bits that make Israel distinctive, living a life as a perfect Jew on behalf of all of us. And he upheld that national distinctive law for Jews still in part today. And then he upheld the moral aspects of that law, applying that universally to all his people, to all people. Jesus' commands are wide. We know that we have come to know him if we keep those commands. But John has already said, just a couple of verses earlier in his letter, if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. So this verse cannot be about moral perfection. It can't be about being absolutely perfect in keeping Jesus' commands, because he's already acknowledged that we're not. He's already acknowledged that there are times we need to remember Jesus' advocacy for us. This test of assurance, then, is not about how we do, it's not about our achievement, but rather about how we seek to live, our aspiration. So I know, for example, I shouldn't be gluttonous. I know I shouldn't be gluttonous. I know I shouldn't be gluttonous. I'm seeking not to live gluttonously. And then the rest of the Christmas cake disappears suddenly. I know I shouldn't lie. I know I shouldn't lie. I know I shouldn't lie. I strive not to lie. Edward, did you eat the rest of the Christmas cake? No. (laughs) Sorry. Yes, I did. If anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Slightly amusing examples, but we know that sin is serious. And... There are moral slip-ups that are rather more serious than eating the rest of the Christmas cake in a moment of gluttony or uh, not admitting, not owning up to it in a moment of deceit. Anger and lust and pride and envy can lead us into some very sticky situations. But here's the rub of this test of assurance. Are those moments, are those actually slip-ups or are they in fact the ordinary course of our life? Are they the exception, or are they the rule? We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And that point gets repeated four times in that first paragraph, just in case we missed it. Three times in the positive, one time in the negative. So we've read the first positive in verse 3, and then we get verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, negative, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But, verse 5, if anybody obeys his word, positive, 
Love for God is truly made complete in them. And then a fourth time, this is how we know we are in him. Positive. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Did you catch the point? Positive, negative, positive, positive. We can be sure that we do belong to Jesus if we obey him and if we live as he did in his moral perfection. We get a bit of a help, I think, from Paul writing in his letter to the Romans about what that actually looks like to live that way. In chapter 7 of his letter, I'm going to read for us a number of verses from chapter 7 of Romans. And I think these are, these are very helpful in grappling with this issue of obeying Jesus' command in a fallen state, knowing that sometimes we do slip up. So I'm reading from verse 14 of chapter 7 of Romans. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So, I find this a law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I think that gives us a good sense of what it means when John writes to us about keeping his commands, keeping Jesus' commands, obeying his word, living as Jesus lived. It's not about sinless perfection. That is unachievable before the completion of our sanctification before we see Jesus face to face. It's rather about desiring that perfection in our inner being, desiring to do the right thing, delighting in the law of God in our inmost parts, even if our members are waging war against that. So here's the question for us from that first paragraph that we're looking at in the passage today. Is there any area of our life where we're actually not trying to obey Jesus? Is there any area where actually we've given up on striving for holiness? Any area where we have actually formalized or even institutionalized immorality? It's not about occasional lapses. That's not 
the problem, the barrier. John knows that happens. If that does happen, we have an advocate with the Father, verse 1 of chapter 2. But rather, this test of assurance is about, are there any permanent, deliberate, unrepentant patterns of living that we've adopted where something has got bigger than God and we've ended up worshipping it instead, making it an idol? If there's no such area, then we know that we have come to know him. I'm just going to pause uh, before we look on to the, the latter two paragraphs more briefly to give us a time just to reflect personally, quietly for a, a few, few seconds about whether there is any such area or pattern of living in our life. verse again we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands so we've considered christian obedience in general and we'll have a moment a little bit later in our service to come to a time of confession if we have identified any particular area where we're systematically not obeying jesus's commands but john goes on to discuss one command in particular and this is the second of his two tests of assurance he gives us today So we can have Christian assurance by keeping Jesus' commands, but we can have Christian assurance as well by keeping Jesus' particular commands to love one another. Look at verse 10. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. We had a number of repetitions in that first paragraph of the, the point about obeying Jesus in general. And likewise, in that third paragraph, there's three repetitions of this particular point about Jesus' command to love each other. So we get, this time, two two negatives and one positive. So verse 9, our first negative, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. And then positive, verse 10, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. And then negative again, verse 11, but anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. There's a lot about light and darkness there, isn't there? You might remember from a couple of Sundays ago, the substantive part of this letter from John began with the words, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. That is, God is moral perfection. Such moral perfection we can only begin to understand. And being in the light, walking in the light, is a synonym for being with God, being part of Jesus's people. We can know that we're in that light. We can have assurance about it by following Jesus's commands We can know we're in the light. We can have assurance by following Jesus' command in particular to love one another, not to hate a brother or sister. If we claim to be in the light, but we do actually hate a brother or sister in Christ, then we're still in the darkness. 
Now, not everybody is easy to love, are they? I'm sure we're all familiar with that reality. In fact, some people are very challenging to love, especially where that love is not much reciprocated and the people themselves are very different to us. But as with the first paragraph that we looked at today, this test of assurance is not about being perfect. It's not about absolutely perfectly loving those around us, but rather about trying to love them, about having the attitude and the aspiration of love towards them, by contrast with completely giving up, just hating them. People might irritate us. They might rebuff us. They might insult us. Uh, those even close to us, around us in church. But it's a very long step from trying to love them to actually hating them. You might ask yourself, well, all this talk about brothers and sisters, which is family language for the family of God, brothers and sisters in Christ, why is there that focus? Aren't we called as Christians to love all people, irrespective of whether they're Jesus people or not? We certainly are. And uh, one of the commands of Jesus, uh, which we are called upon to reflect on uh, as our test of assurance, is to love our neighbours as ourselves. Who is my neighbour? You might remember that the lawyer asked Jesus, trying to trip him up. And Jesus told him that parable about the Good Samaritan. Who was it who showed love to the person in need there? He asked the lawyer. Well, it was the, the Samaritan, the outsider, the person from outside God's family. You go and do likewise, Jesus said, knowing that the lawyer would not be able to do that. He'd have to fall back on Jesus' mercy. But the call, that the standard of achievement was set. Love is not meant to be given just to those within your circle, but to everybody, the whole world. That call of love does not know limits. And yet there is also, as well as that high call, a particular call to love those within God's people, within the family. At Christmas time, I send Christmas cards far and wide to all sorts of people. Uh, many of you will have probably found a, a Christmas card from me at some point. But I only give presents, I only give gifts to those actually in my family or very, very close friends. So I'm, I show love widely, but I show particular love to those in the family. And it's the same dynamic going on here. This is summed up very well by Paul in another of his epistles, in Galatians chapter 6. Do good to all, he says, especially to the household of faith. That is, to God's new household in Jesus. That's the second test of assurance. Are we showing that love? And it's because... It is a new household, a newly founded household, a newly refounded household in Jesus, that this commandment itself is both old and new. You might have seen that going on in the middle paragraph of our reading in verses 7 and 8. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard. Yet, verse 8, I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him. And in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. This command to love each other is old. It's been there for thousands of years in the law of Moses. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's not Jesus who came up with that line. It was always there. It's an old command. We knew it. 
And yet it's new because Jesus has recreated God's people. He has refounded Israel. And in that community, we love each other. Our home groups uh, have recently been looking at John's Gospel, and many of you are in home groups have been looking at the Last Supper, the uh, Upper Room Discourse. And we saw in John chapter 13, as Jesus is preparing to go back to his Father, preparing for the cross, preparing for the ascension, preparing to depart from the disciples, he gave them a new command. That new command, love one another as I have loved you. Those were his closing instructions, as it were. That love that we're to have within the church, within the new community he set up, that's our second test of assurance, both an old command and a new command. When we studied that command in home groups, we were thinking to ourselves about the many ways in which we actually do see that love at work within our church family. There's much uh, comfort and assurance we can take from reflecting that that love is at work among us, taking an interest in each other's lives, praying for each other, uh, doing practical things like giving lifts and cooking meals and visiting, and most fundamentally of all, just being present for one another at particular moments, like here on a Sunday morning or Sunday evening in home groups at prayer meetings. There's much to rejoice in and much to give us assurance in terms of this second test of assurance. Yet there's also much to continue striving in, isn't there? Much to continue working towards in showing love to brothers and sisters. And if we are, then we can have assurance that we are his. We live in the light, and there is nothing to make us stumble. Let's stop there and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for the Lord Jesus and his mediation and sacrifice for us. Thank you that we can be sure that is for us. We can be sure that we are his as we consider our obedience to his law and our love for each other. Where we have fallen away from that, Heavenly Father, restore us. Where we have slipped up, help us to see that, to repent over it and to come back to you. Strengthen our assurance, we pray, and strengthen the assurance of all your people gathered across the world this day. In Jesus' name, amen.